KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. President Joe Biden's bipartisan infrastructure bill is now law. We've heard a lot about the price tag of the bill over the last several months as it was negotiated, but not nearly as much about what's actually in it. And that's what we were interested in. So we caught up with Scott Deekle, associate professor and department chair of business and economics at Ursinus College. We dig into the bill and find out the real impact it could have on all of us. So to start, I want to just kind of talk about the numbers of this bill because... You just kind of heard 1.2 trillion, 1 trillion, you know, numbers being top line numbers being thrown around. And then it was interesting, like once it kind of made its way to President Biden's desk, I all of a sudden heard Beltway Media folks saying, you know, well, it's 500 million, 500 billion in new spending. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And boy, wouldn't it be nice if somebody mentioned that at some point uh, during the months we've been talking about this? Kind of talk about what we're seeing numbers wise how much time this money is spent over and and what it means by new spending. Sure. Yeah. So like you mentioned, uh, for most of the process that this bill went through over the last six or seven months, we saw that it was a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. And perhaps uh, that's the number came out because it's attention grabbing uh, and so on. But in fact, it's also correct that this $1.2 trillion actually includes only to to maybe stretch the term only only 550 billion of new spending. So what that means is the federal government had already been on a path to spend 650 billion dollars on infrastructure. And it's also worth noting that that's 650 billion dollars over a period of 10 years. And with this new uh, infrastructure bill, it means an additional $550 billion will be spent over that 10-year period on these infrastructure projects, which brings us to a total of $1.2 trillion over 10 years. And just so everybody's clear, this is the bill that President Biden has signed into law. We are not talking about the separate bill, often referred to as the reconciliation bill, that is more of a social infrastructure. This is uh, more of the hard infrastructure, for lack of a better term, correct? That, that's correct. Yeah, most, though, maybe not all of this, but most of this is is built towards building physical structures and replacing things that, that are physically there. So it's a little different than the social safety net programs that are going to be part of this reconciliation bill. So let's dig into this. Um, we were talking, you said there there are several, several different kind of, uh, I don't know if categories is the right word, but areas to look at, and we don't want to bore people by going piece by piece. Give me some of the things that jump out at you. What are some of the things that, that you see that uh, you find mm-hmm. interesting? Yeah. So, well, I'll start with the biggest number, about 20% of this bill, $110 billion, is going towards things that I think our listeners uh probably first have come to mind when they hear the word infrastructure. We're talking about new highways, new bridges, uh, that sort of thing. And so that's going to just mean wider highways, uh, more highways, new pavement on the highways, that sort of thing, replacing old bridges, fixing decrepit bridges, uh, and and really accelerating the process of which all of that happens. So that's a big number, but 
you know, in terms of like, is that something really unusual for us to see that kind of spending? It's not going to, it's not going to look a lot different. Some of the stuff that I think will seem different uh, falls into the category of promotion of electrical vehicles and also promotion of broadband service. So uh, I'll start with the electrical vehicles. Um, this bill has authorized uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $15 billion for uh, programs that would support alternative uh, forms of transportation to uh, gasoline-powered engines. So $7.5 billion of that is going towards an electric vehicle charging network. So right now, there are just not that many places to charge an electric car, and that's hindering the development of electric vehicles. So this will promote, at least in a small way, the expansion of that network. And then uh, another part of that is going towards promoting uh, zero emission buses, uh, both like city buses for public transportation and school buses. And we can expect a lot of that to go to electric powered buses as well. I, I think to the extent it promotes uh, electric vehicles and so on, that'll be something that we see as a change in our lifestyle. And, and over the next 10 years, we can probably point back to this program and say, hey, that, that really played a role in this. Complementary to that $15 billion towards uh, electric vehicles, there's also a whopping $73 billion uh, going towards an upgrade of the power grid. So uh, what a lot of people don't think about when they think about having electric vehicles in the future is that our network of electric transmission lines actually can't carry enough electricity for everyone to drive an electric vehicle. So if we were to set up a lot of new electric vehicle charging stations and convert a lot of drivers to electric vehicles, we would overwhelm our existing uh, system of wires and towers and so on that deliver our electricity. And, and, and on top of that, if we want it to be clean electricity coming from new wind farms and solar farms, we're going to need high voltage lines to connect to those uh, uh, wind farms and solar farms too. So all, all of this is a very costly project uh, to make happen. It's going to require a lot of new construction. And this bill is providing some seed money, I, I would say, for the construction of that new alternative fuel network for our vehicles. When, and that's what's interesting about that is that you talk about changing the lifestyle. I think a lot yeah. of this stuff we won't, I don't want to say we won't notice, but we will take for granted that it's just always kind of there and it's always been mm -hmm. there when you talk about the roads and stuff like that. But this really, those, that electrical vehicle thing, because that is something I would could certainly consider an electric car, but yeah. I would be concerned about, oh, is it going to be more trouble than it's worth just trying if I want to go any great distance and stuff like that, getting it charged. That 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 seems like something really significant, not just from a policy standpoint, but also from an environmental standpoint. Right. Yeah. And I, I think if they uh, distribute the money in a wise way, I think they could do a lot to encourage the use of electric vehicles and make it more convenient for for Americans who want to drive those. I mean, I think a lot depends on how the seven and a half billion dollars is spent on an electric vehicle charging network. Um, I, I think there's probably better and worse ways to do it. I, I think a, a poor way to do it would be for uh, a federal agency to just simply build charging stations of its own at certain selected spots around the country. 
Um, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, something that might work, though, is if they distributed grants or tax credits or, or some kind of uh, uh, kind of marginal funding to like private enterprises that wanted to create their own electrical vehicle charging networks. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you think about it, like part of the reason there aren't many places to charge your electric cars right now is because uh, a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners uh, have looked at the market and they haven't seen a great way to make a profit doing that. In order to make that happen, the government would need to do things that would like provide a, a boost to those kind of businesses interested in that and uh, give them uh, a little bit of extra money that would bring a, a project from the red to the black and, and make them want to get involved in it. it it's, it's really interesting if you think about like what, what has to happen for this kind of network to, to rise up. Like, like you might think like a traditional like Wawa type convenience store would be the, the ideal type of business to open uh, an electric vehicle charging point. But um, if you think about it, like it takes like 20 or 30 minutes to get a decent charge uh, at a charging station. And Wawa's are not really set up for people to uh, stand around for 20 or 30 minutes while their uh, cars charge. So, so I think the government needs to kind of like do something to encourage a new type of enterprise that would be something that's, that's economically sustainable uh, and provide charging services to the population. I'm not in favor of anything that makes Wawa parking lots even harder to navigate, but that's a yeah, yeah. We want to avoid that. Set. They're already yeah. too crowded. As much as I'm a fan of the electric car <laughs> idea, I got to draw the line somewhere. But on a serious <laughs> note, another thing you mentioned was broadband, and I yes. think that is the ability to have high speed internet. I think is something that a lot of us that live in the suburbs and in cities really kind of take for granted that. You know, it's it's there and it's always been there. But there are a lot of people in this country that don't have access to that. And the ripple effects of that are significant. So if you can improve, increase, you know, the the total blanket of connectivity to the Internet for for folks all over the place, that's that's really a game changer for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and I think uh, folks in rural areas will enjoy a big difference uh, from this. The 65 billion of the 550 billion is directed towards uh, broadband access programs. And uh, a lot of that will go to rural areas where it just hasn't made financial sense for, for profitable corporations to uh, lay broadband lines and deliver service. So through uh, hopefully a, another wisely allocated series of grants and, and credits and so on, uh, hopefully they can bring uh, the entirety of the United States uh, into the broadband age, which, which like you said, it's, it's really hard for imagine, to imagine for someone living in Philadelphia or its suburbs uh, not having broadband internet because we've had it for, gosh, 20 years or, or so. Um, but in a lot of parts of the country, uh, it's still not readily available. And so this will make that possible. And another another thing that this spending on broadband does is in, in all areas, not just rural areas, is it makes it makes broadband service more accessible for low-income Americans. During the pandemic, when all schools were going online, one of the stimulus bills provided uh, a $50 a month voucher to families uh, with low income so they, they could purchase broadband internet and their children would have access to their schools. 
And so this uh, infrastructure bill continues that program for another 10 years at a somewhat lower level. The, the, the voucher is now for $30 instead of $50, but it's still something that I think will encourage a lot more people uh, to take advantage of that service. The, the numbers I read say about 4 million uh, households took advantage of that broadband voucher from the stimulus package. And that's a pretty, pretty substantial number of people that it helps. Is there a way, can you tell, is it the, the bill written or laid out in a way that you can tell what falls under the umbrella of new spending and what is under the umbrella of things that were already in the pipeline? Yeah, I mean, everything I've been describing is is in some way new spending. Now, like in terms of the roads and bridges, you could think of that as additional spending on the types of projects that were already happening. Now, whereas there was no uh, spending before this on electric vehicle charging, there was no spending before on electric or zero emission buses, there wasn't a big amount of funding for upgrades to the power grid either. So, so those kind of things are, are entirely new programs, um, whereas some other things are, are basically adding on to existing spending. I mean, as, as I look at the numbers, uh, it looks to me like roughly half of that $550 billion is basically topping off existing programs. And then uh, another half of that $550 billion is is entirely new spending. So like, you know, like the broadband we talked about, in terms of expanding the rural access, that's new spending. The uh, upgrades to the power grids, that's a new program. Electric vehicles, like I said, is a new program. Another another big one that's new is $55 billion to uh, improve drinking water quality. We, we've all heard about issues in places like Flint, Michigan, where the pipes that deliver water to people's homes are made of lead. And uh, some of that lead is seeped into the drinking water and, and poisoned uh, those who drink it. So this money is directed to replacing pipes like those in Flint, Michigan, that were delivering a toxic substance to people drinking water. And that's, that's something that hadn't been done before. And that's another thing that I think probably most of the people listening to this take for granted that you don't have to think twice before drinking your water. But once again, this is going to help people in a lot of cases, the most vulnerable people. And it is really a big deal. I mean, it's a hundred years too late, but it's finally being addressed. Right. And like, when I look at what, like what economists find about this program in terms of its impact on our gross domestic product, you know, the, the long-term impact of this is really not huge. You know, it's, it's could increase our growth rate of uh, gross domestic product by maybe a 10th or two tenths of a percent per year. But, you know, there are other ways that it could seriously have a positive impact on uh, the lives of Americans. And so, you know, one is obviously with drinking water, um, I think it's addressing uh, an issue of underinvestment where uh, local water systems just hadn't invested sufficiently to provide a safe supply of drinking water over the years. And in the case of the broadband access, uh, it's going to bring uh, high-speed internet to uh, a lot more Americans than had had it before. And, and those kinds of things don't always directly show up in the economic figures, but 
it, it should show up in other ways where people feel safer about the water they drink. They feel more connected to the world. And, and over time, I think uh, the dividends will eventually show up in American society. To that point, and, you know, I don't want to get too philosophical here, but should we look at this less as less through an economic lens and maybe more through a quality of life lens? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think that's the best way to justify it. I think if you argue that this is going to do a tremendous amount for economic growth, uh, I, I don't think you're on very firm ground there. I think you do have to argue that it's going to provide for healthier lives, um, more rich and vibrant lives, uh, and hopefully uh, a less polluted environment in a lot of ways. And another thing is kind of, you know, as we know about the bureaucracy and, and with budgets and stuff, the key is kind of getting them in the door. And once they're there, yeah. they tend to take root and become self-fulfilling. And with a lot of the things you've talked about here, uh, that's kind of the key that maybe a lot of these things are being addressed now and it will be much easier to address them as it's necessary on an ongoing basis going forward. Yeah, I mean, uh, some of these programs I, I see as probably one-time things that if they work well, they'll just spur the development they need, like I was referring to with the electric vehicle charging network. But then there's others where it, it may lead to a more permanent change. Uh, an example there is, is the money that's been allocated to support Amtrak. Uh, this bill includes about $66 billion to make Amtrak uh a more plausible alternative to driving or flying between cities across the country. As it is now, Amtrak uh, as uh, a way to get from point A to point B works mainly best uh, in our area, uh, you know, in what people call the Acela corridor between Washington, D.C. and Boston going through uh, here in Philadelphia. But there, there's a lot of the country that Amtrak serves and it doesn't really attract a lot of ridership because it's so slow. Um, the facilities on the trains aren't very good. And people mainly will ride Amtrak if they just want the experience of riding a train or they're afraid of flying. <laughs> they can't drive. So they'll, they'll take Amtrak. And, and what they're trying to do with the money here is to improve Amtrak enough so that Someone might say go from Philadelphia to Chicago rather than just New York um, on an Amtrak train because the train will be more comfortable. It'll make fewer stops and go faster. And uh, it'll be just uh, a comparable or a better experience to what you would get flying on a plane or driving. We have heard, I mean, during the Trump administration, Infrastructure Week became kind of a running joke because there was always some kind of right uh, some kind of uh, chaos that kind of overtook uh, right. the infrastructure. And I mean, we are, you know, almost a year into Joe Biden's presidency, and this has been talked about and talked about and negotiated. Mm -hmm. Just kind of how important is it for society, regardless of whether it's as big as people want it, if it's too much spending, but just the idea that something big got done. I, I think that's kind of a big deal because people need to kind of believe that things can work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a significant part of this. And uh, Joe Biden's original proposal for this was far larger. And I think part of the reason he was willing to stick with it and pare it down to get 
uh, Republican and centrist Democrat votes on this was because he wanted to show that there could be bipartisan legislation passed uh, even today. So I, I agree that from a societal standpoint, from a political standpoint, uh, it definitely is important on that level. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.